So I know we don't have any listeners, but for the purposes of when we upload this later, I just want to say hello. Uh, my name is Hector. Um, I'm kind of wanting to start this little series here on the Stereo app with um, a couple of my other friends, um, where we just talk about interesting stuff and kind of um, just expand on some of the ideas, because I think I have the blessings of being able to uh, know a lot of people who are super intelligent, um, have a lot of like vast and important lived experiences that just deserve to be documented, you know? Um, and of course the person I have with me today is Lauren, who is one of them. Um, I think Lauren is like literally the definition of an activist. She's very involved on her campus and I won't say which campus it is. <laughs> I think we should kind of keep it anonymous, but we go to a rather, I think, I think our institution's a little prestigious, <laughs> right? Lauren, don't you, don't you think? I would agree. It's a little bit well known. Good classification. Yeah. So it's, it's a little, it's, it's well known, but it's certainly not bougie. Um, but yeah, so hi, Lauren, welcome to the pod. <laughs> hi, Hector, thank you so much for having me on for your first episode. I'm honored and very excited to chat with you today. No, I'm literally, I'm literally so happy you're here. You're like literally, um, the ball of energy that I keep around in my life and literally the only source of sunshine I have at every hour of my day. So I appreciate you so much. <laughs> I appreciate you but too. I wanted to, no, of course. And I wanted to ask you just in general, how are you feeling today? How are you, how are you feeling after, what is it, like almost like a year of a pandemic? <laughs> it's crazy, you know, like I was thinking about today. Today was a really, really nice day in the Bay Area. Um, that's fine. <laughs> and, I think that's okay. Uh, yeah, in the Bay Area where I am. And, um, <laughs> and I went on a walk with my parents and I was just talking about how it's so crazy that we have been, or that I've we've all been home, you and me have been home for what's going to be a year in about a couple weeks. So it's wild to think that, you know, when we were high schoolers, when we were seniors, we went away to college, we thought that was going to be a pretty final transition. But here we are. <laughs> we're back. And, you know, I'm feeling really blessed that I have a very supportive family to come home to. But nonetheless, it definitely has been odd. Um, but at the same time, getting used to it. So how do you feel about everything, Hector? You took every word out of my mouth. It's like another transition on top of a transition we never thought would have to happen again. I mean, we all kind of had expectations and like plans for post um, undergrad and stuff, but the reality that like we had to evacuate so quickly within like what COVID was announced in January, the first case, something like that. And then in March, we were just packing up our stuff super quickly. I mean, I can't tell you how many things I threw away when we're leaving the, the dormitories. <laughs> You know, isn't that just insane? Crazy. Yeah. No, same but yeah, I mean, in general, I've been fine. I mean, recently I've been trying to get out and do more walks because I've noticed I've just been inside for too long, eating too much food, and it's not been so good for the mental health, but we're bouncing back, you know, we're bouncing back. Yeah. Right. How are you with your family and everything? How's What's everything going on with your situation? It's good. It's good. I totally feel you. Like, I think there are ebb and flows or ebbs and flows. Um <laughs> quarantine mental health and stability um and I think I'm kind of in more of an ebb right now I think in winter quarter um 
I think in fall, I was very, you know, I, I didn't mind being home. It kind of felt like an extension of summer. And I still don't mind being home. But um, I think yeah. I just felt like I had more of a solid grasp on my self-care and my health. And winter, I think, just because I'm very, like, my mood fluctuates with the weather. It's been a little hard to yeah. adjust and still kind of still be productive and still keep moving forward, which it's interesting. I just had a conversation with someone the other day and I was asking them, I was like, you know, what do you think you've cultivated in this time that you think you're going to bring with you after the pandemic? And I feel like I've been working really hard to, you know, go to therapy and, and start cultivating self-care. And this person just said, like, honestly, my life was a lot better before the pandemic and I haven't really developed yeah. any new hobbies. And, you know, um, it's, it's interesting to kind of see how different folks are going through this time. Oh my God. Yeah. You bring up a really good, like self-reflection is probably the biggest takeaway from this pandemic. We've had a lot of time, both, I mean, call me crazy, like literally on all of TikTok, I've been seeing these trends of people like yearning for the early days of the pandemic and of quarantining. And I'm like, what, what, what is going on? My life was like taken away. And I think like, we have to also wonder like how many factors go into how, um, how you're handling the pandemic. Cause obviously financial social family wise all these things factor into your overall capabilities to enjoy being alone inside and some people have not i know for myself i'm an essential worker so i've literally been working throughout the entire pandemic i can i can only count on my fingers the amount of days that i've spent inside um not because i'm not choosing to quarantine but rather because i have to because of financial reasons mm -hmm. so yeah you're right i mean what we can take away from this time is really just like self-reflection and I think also I hope that a lot of the things that um the sanitary measures we've been taking everywhere kind of stay like mask wear I don't understand why that wasn't a thing so long ago <laughs> you know what I mean seriously and the fact that it was such a thing in other countries and we you know up until this pandemic I just blatantly ignored that practice I think is really eye-opening oh 100 percent. we were literally ridiculing them for like wearing masks in public tossing, calling them crazy and now like it's everywhere I don't think it's going to leave for a really long time. I hope, at least I hope it doesn't, yeah, you know? Here. Okay, well, Lauren, I really want to ask you because you are like one of the most inspirational people in my life and someone that I really um, just revere so much. Um, I want to ask you um, a little bit about your background as a person. What do you think your, what did early development look like for Lauren? How did you spend like childhood and how did that change like going into high school? Oh, this is so interesting, Hector, because I was actually just un unpacking this with my therapist on Monday, but oh <laughs> you know, it's, it's top of mind. It's fresh in there. Um, <laughs> but thank you for this question. Um, like, you know, along with going along with what you were saying regarding self-reflection, I think it's really important to acknowledge one's origin story and how that affects them. And so I just appreciate yeah. you giving me the space to talk about that. So I'll hop into it. Um, I think a lot of my upbringing comes from the fact that I'm multiracial and that I'm mixed. Um, yeah. And well, that I brings up a whole other idea. How do you identify? Oh my gosh! Oh, see, it's interesting. Um, I identify as you know a, a multiracial woman. Um, uh, I'm I'm straight. I'm. Are you are you a first generation? Oh, thank you, okay. thank you for giving me like these criteria that I can choose from. No, no, I am not a first gen. Oh my gosh, I'm not a first generation college student. Um, 
Gotcha. My parents actually, funnily enough, which I think factors into my upbringing, is um, they met at the community college that's around the corner from my house. So oh, wow. it's crazy that um, we now live like around the corner and I grew up next to this community college, which looking back, you know, I, I feel like it's something that I was just accepted as, as normal growing up. But to have right. the opportunity, like when I was in high school, to take classes there um, during the summer if I wanted to, or just know that knowledge was so close to me, if I wanted access to it, um, I think yeah. that really was formative in my upbringing to assume that, you know, because of where I grew up, that like that knowledge was readily accessible to everyone. I think that's kind of how I felt growing up. And then, you know, as I, as I matured and as I went away to college and as I, you know, just learned about the world in high school, I realized um, how that's not the reality, how education is often inaccessible for so many people and how educational inequity really plagues our society. So. Very, very striking realization for me as I got older. Right. And that goes into a lot of the classes issues that for me kind of through like the higher institutions when you come into a class and a lot of kids are like, why haven't you taken these prerequisites? Like this is stuff we learned in high school. Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of us didn't have access to this material or this information in high school because, you know, they aren't obviously aren't going to build like a community college in places where the, the the graduation rate isn't necessarily the highest, or there's not people who can sponsor, um, you know, the creation of a library or something. And so it's like, you're right, doing that kind of self-reflection and taking ownership. I think that's what part of being um, an ally is. And part of what recognizing your privilege is, you kind of have to understand like what advantages were granted to you that aren't universal, you know? and um, not to compare yourself to other people, but rather just to take ownership of that. And I think that helps into being just a more empathetic and understanding human being, right? Um, Completely. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so you're very passionate. So sorry, let's go back to your <laughs> childhood and things like that. What kind of kid was Lauren? Oh my goodness. Um, I think growing up, I... It's interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot recently in the context of first impressions. Um, yeah. When people tell me, you know, what they kind of, Thought of me when they met me, um, and I think were you going a know-it-all back... child? Oh my god, no, no, I don't. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I, I don't think I. I don't know. I, have, I mean, I haven't talked to anyone from like you know elementary school in a long time, but right. I think that I wasn't a know-it-all child. I think what I was more than a know-it-all was. I'm just a very. It's interesting because I I think I am I am I am outspoken, but I wouldn't call myself yeah. necessarily opinionated. Like, were I you confrontational to your your teachers? Like, it's did you really, bring up issues? I I don't think I'm a very confrontational person in general. I think also too like yeah. I was kind of raised with like a deep deep fear of authority, and I think that maintains to this day. Um, so I think. Yeah, I honestly could probably characterize myself as more of like a teacher's pet. I think like at a okay. young age and even into like high school maybe. I mean, definitely not like, you know, I feel like teacher's pet could have like the visions of some obnoxious person. And I don't think I was obnoxious. I just think like I right. like feared authority and I'm a big people pleaser. I've always been a big people pleaser. I'm trying to reform that now. Um, so in that way, like try to get along with everybody, try to be very nice, you know. Yeah, and I think it's it's really sad that um the, the the connotations you're right to being like a teacher's pet or a people pleaser are obnoxious and things like that. But there are some like important qualities, and I think if we reframe our thinking of like a fear of authority into an appreciation for recognition, I think that would more so you know 
I think that better fits your description because I don't see you as a people policer. I think you stand really firm in your values, um, just from my experience with you. So I think if you are working on being a people pleaser, you're doing a really good job. <laughs> I just want to say that you, because I, <laughs> because you are also really humble. Like Lauren, I don't think people understand that when they meet you, like how involved you are, how quiet you are about, you know, the, I don't know other way, any other way to say this besides like side hustles, the side hustles that you conduct on a regular basis. I just, I don't think people know that about you. And cause you're so quiet about it. And it's like, it's, it's, it's war. It's, refreshing to meet someone especially our, our um higher institution that is like so humble about their accomplishments because i think we're all kind of vouching for something to put on our resumes to for post-grad institutions or wherever you're you may land so yeah i just want to i just want to think that about you thank you hector <laughs> that means that means the world to me so i really appreciate you saying that and i hope you know i've always thought the same about you and always lived in awe of your work ethic so just to say uh, that as well lauren you were you were literally so sweet. Okay. Um, and so I guess we can kind of fast forward to the high school days. How did um, that teacher's pet role inform your experience in high school? Like, were you in a lot of social circles? How did you participate in school? It's really interesting. Another thing that I was actually just talking about my therapist with. Um, <laughs> I think I, I honestly am someone who I feel like I struggled probably up until my first serious relationship. So like my first boyfriend. Oh, um, wow. So we're getting into to... relationships. Ah! Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> as, it to my, as it relates to my intellectual or like, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, trying to relate it back to high school. but No, they um, all def- I, definitely are yeah. interconnected. You're 100% correct. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think yeah. I, I really struggled to probably up until yeah like that point in my life so like my junior year of high school um to form really deep relationships with people um deep friendships deep relationships and I don't know why that is like I look back and I've always been someone who's aspired to get along with everybody so I've always um you know when I was in middle school or early in high school I think I had a lot of acquaintances but for some reason it was really hard for me to make close friends um right which has definitely changed in college which i'm very grateful for I, I, I love you hector and i would call you one of the closest friends that i've made in college <laughs> and i'm very grateful for you um so thank you no literally likewise because as, i would <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm like <laughs> um but i think zoom anyway um no you're literally it's because we're okay so for everyone that's like listening we're like looking at each other at zoom so like the timing of us looking at each other is like not fair out for the speaking but it's okay, as long as you guys can hear through the interruptions. <laughs> Go ahead, Lauren. Sorry. Um, yeah. No. Um, just to, I guess, to, to summarize my high school experience for everyone listening. Um, I think, yeah, I, I struggled to make deep relationships and friendships. And so when I finally kind of started to make those at the end of high school, um, I felt a very deep sense of belonging. And it's interesting how at the same time I felt that sense of belonging in relationships, I started to really form my identity, I would say, as a leader. Um, I think I've always been someone who aspires to take part. You know, I think like, I think, I don't know, I have opinions about, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, I think like, it's, it's important to look at the act of leadership, not as an occupation but as a passion and as an innate purpose that doesn't necessarily need the name of leadership is I feel like my personal philosophy yeah and so 
I feel like I started to kind of come into my own in that way at the end of high school. Um, and I think that's one of the things that motivated me to go where we go to college, Hector, because I feel like so many people, <laughs> you know, around us have that same motivation, even if, you know, at our institution, it's a little um, less humble sounding or yeah. like, you know. And, you know, that's yeah. okay. It, outward confidence is like an important thing. You know, we have to affirm and we have to like manifest the things that we want for ourselves. So I think when you carry that kind of um, badge of pride about your, all your accolades and the things that you've collected in your life, it's important and it's necessary. It's just a matter of recognizing that you and yourself are not the only reason that you got those things. And that other person next to you who didn't get your accolades and things like that, it's not because of them as a person. There's not any other person that's trying harder than the other person. We're all trying at the end of the day. It's just a matter of some of us got the advantage, some of us didn't. So I think you're 100% right. And also I wanted to say um, in terms of like, your relationships and things like that. I think it's also sometimes a fear of intimacy because I imagine that you as a person that where it was growing up, you were probably like corrected a lot. Because like, I, I can only speak in this because I was also, um, I had a fear of being reprimanded. Um, and so like whenever I felt like I was being too close to somebody, it's like a very vulnerable position. I didn't want them to th to look at me and recognize anything that was wrong with me. You know what I mean? And so, like, yeah. it's almost like I rejected that kind of proximity to people because I didn't want... It was, like, a self-defense mechanism. The, that the, the ability, inability to um, hurt me was shielded by these, like, pleasantries and just these passing goings from class to class. But it was never, like... I rarely met them outside of college because I didn't want... The, or outside of uh, high school because I didn't want them to, to know more about me than I was willing to convey, if that makes sense. Yeah, I completely agree. So, and I think that's exactly how I felt. And... It's interesting. I was sharing this with my therapist. I keep bringing up my therapist, but um, no, it's of course everyone should do therapy. Period. <laughs> period. For everybody listening, if you're not in therapy right now, get in there. Um, get in there. But you know, Hector, I have a question for you. Like, if that's okay, yeah, it's okay that I go, go ahead. Question. Yeah, my therapist just asked. Like, you know, I completely agree with what you were saying. That I, I think what it, what to me, what it sounds like that we both kind of suffered from at this age was a fear that people wouldn't accept our authentic selves. And, right. you know, what I was asked on Monday was, where does that fear come from? Like, what structures, what people, uh, what institutions taught us that our authentic selves wouldn't be accepted and that it was things to hide and that they were things to hide, you know? Right. That's a really tough question. And it's a really poignant question. And it's important, but it's very difficult to answer because it's not one sole source, like as we know. I mean, we can theorize as much as we want all day. I think for me, it's a more direct answer. Um, and not to say it's not for you, but um, in my personal experience, I know that it's from like me being gay. I think like when I was younger, like I didn't shit, like, how do I explain this? Um, it's very simple to, and very easy to confuse platonic with romantic feelings. So whenever I had my friendships and things like that, I was very cautious. Because I wasn't ready to reveal to everybody what what I what my preferences were, what I liked and what I didn't like. And so when I hung out with people and I like made connections and friendships, um, it's also an aspect of uh, once again not wanting to reveal myself because you know the media taught me that my feelings and my preferences were incorrect. The propaganda of the early two thousands was all geared towards, um, and it stopped late in the later ages, but it was all geared towards you know stopping homosexuality depicting them as crazy lunatics i mean if you watch reality tv shows like 
and even Spanish soap operas, like all of the classic evil villains had a little bit of, have a little bit of flamboyance. You know what I mean? It's all kind of ingrained in our television and our movies that anybody who was any man or anything that was a little bit feminine or different or other or queer was inherently evil. And it's those kind of nuanced shades of um, representation that are really impactful for forming our identities of ourselves and kind of saying like, um, are this, this flamboyance, this, these preferences, this, this coda of like, um, you know, your identity is not acceptable, but it's not only that. I mean, I am also like composed of being, um, a former Catholic and then I'm also Hispanic. So it's like in those subcultures as well, you also see like a lot of rejection of femininity and flamboyance and when it's negatively expressed in terms of homosexuality. Do you get what I'm saying? Does this make kind of sense? Yeah, I completely, I, I totally understand what you're saying and, and wow, just, you know, oh my goodness, I applaud your resilience, Hector, in being able to, you know, like, and I, I know, I, I don't know if that's what you were getting at, but I just want to throw it out there, Yeah. No, thank you so much, Lauren. No, it, and it's also, like, too, like, <laughs> I shouldn't be, like, I hate to say this, but I don't want to be awarded for being gay, too, because there also is that kind of, like, instilled... Uh, internalize homophobia a little bit where I get icky at the idea of anybody applauding you know what I mean it's like yeah and I want to undo that and be out and proud and I think that's why um it's such a tragedy that like corona had to stop pride season because I think pride season thing and celebrations of this sort are really important for visibility um and visibility and awareness is obviously the key to fighting ignorance so you know that's there but period. yeah what about you Lauren period period um what about you Lauren how do you think your identity and your politics um, kind of shape and inform like the reasons why you were a- unable to interact with people. Jeez, I, That's a really deep question. It is a deep question. And you know, I think like you said, it's so you, you, the way you described your experience so succinctly was so impressive. I just have to say, um, I think <laughs> when I think about mine, I, I feel like I can, I can only kind of scratch I haven't thought about it deeply enough to really, I think, summarize my entire experience and really kind of poke right. at every end of why I felt like I couldn't embrace my authentic self. But I think a lot of it, I don't want to argue that a lot of it comes from my womanhood, but I would say that a decent amount of it comes from my womanhood. And I think that's also contextualized yeah. in the place that I'm from um i would say well let's let's talk about that because i want to i want to ask you about that because i've been obviously in study groups with you and stuff like that and i've been in classes with you and stuff like that and i've also had other friends in other classes and you know in study groups and et cetera et cetera it's always the men who like over talk and over speak and whenever a woman raises a point they make they make it a point to like brush it off and then continue with whatever they were doing and it's those little nuances and microaggressions and those little interactions that kind of are telling of a larger system at play here and I don't want to speak on behalf of you but could you talk a little bit about that womanhood because I think it's important you know your identity as a woman is very important it's the first thing that you've entered the world into and it's the the thing that defines you from the moment you're born um whether negatively or positively so do you want to talk about like how being a woman and especially being a woman of color informed your college experience and your life experience most definitely yeah and thank you for giving me the space to kind of unpack these issues because I feel like 
So like, yeah, of course. You, like, you know, on the theme self-reflection like we were discussing earlier. So thank you. I would yeah. say, I think, you know, when I look at my intersectional identity as being a woman, of being a woman of color, like you mentioned, um, it's interesting because I'm also multiracial and I'm very white passing, you know, so I have a lot of the privileges and advantages of someone who the first thing you think when you meet me is, you know, I have very light skin and I'm yeah. probably mixed. I feel like people think that when they see me um, and I, you know, speak in a very, I speak in a way that is, I'm trying to think of the way to describe it. Um, I just speak in a very yeah, typical way. Like You I'm have a reformed... I think you also have like a, a ref, like when you want to you can present in a really amazing vocabulary and lexicon so don't discredit yourself but I think you're right you are very familiar and like I said before you're very humble so you try to like you kind of are a really good code switcher you know what I'm saying like you're really good at like feeling out and like knowing what vocabulary and um to use so yeah thank you yeah um you know and so I think that you know it's it's interesting where I think that there's a lot of selflessness that comes from, well, no, it's not selflessness. I think it's more of a maternal instinct, I would argue. Okay, no, maternal. I'm in a Maternal? No, oh, a you're so fierce. I, <laughs> I think, you know, okay, I'm, okay I, I was trying to make these big claims about womanhood. I'm just going to stick to myself. That's okay. My Listen, we're going been... <laughs> to... We're going to preface this. We're not professors. We're not not super knowledgeable about every aspect of womanhood. You can only share from your lived experiences. No one can tell you that your lived experience is wrong. So if you say something that's not universal for women everywhere, that's okay. That's that's your prerogative. Thank you, Hector. Um, thank you. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting. I actually wrote about this when I was applying to college. I think when I was growing up, I was raised by very independent and strong women. Uh, my mom is a very independent and strong woman. My grandma is the same. My grandma, when she was, you know, 18 and from the South, like packed up and moved to California to join the Air Force and just made this huge decision to leave and completely change her life and is, has been by herself for a majority of her life. And so I think growing up in this climate of very strong women, I'll also add that from a very young age, I did karate and for a lot from ages five to wow. 16. It was a very formative part of my life. And the main sensei in my dojo was a woman. And so, you know, everywhere I looked, my mom, my grandma, my sensei, everywhere I looked, I had these very strong women role models to look up to. And I think, you know, I, I have, I'm proud of myself for maintaining that strength and maintaining that independence as I've grown older. And I think because I was around such strong women at such a young age, I just internalized that that's how women were supposed to act. Um, and then, you know, as I became socialized with different, with my peers, you know, as I went to school, as I went to public school, as I went, um, you know, to high school, to college, I realized that that's not the celebrated image of women everywhere. And, you know, I think it's, it, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge, you know, the wave of female empowerment that we're in now obviously we still have so many ways so many you know strides to make in terms of, right. of empowerment for women especially women of color but um so i don't want to say that i wasn't born in a time when women you know weren't empowered to a degree because there have been so many women before me who have worked so hard to you know get me to a place where i can be the woman i am but i do want to say that you know with the way that i was raised and the role models that i had when i entered mainstream society those traits of being independent, those traits of being strong, 
um, those traits of being outspoken, those traits of, I think, I don't know if I already said opinionated, but um, you know, you're good. being a leader in a lot of ways it were not accepted and not celebrated. And so when I kind of said everything with my chest and was that person and tried to embody those values that I was raised with um, and was met with, you know, either disdain at my energy or just um, resistance, right? Yeah, resistance. Exactly. That's the way to put it. You know, met with resistance. I think, like you said, it's a combination of those microaggressions that you receive from a very young age moving onward that kind of force you to, at least for, or force me to cover parts of myself um, and hide parts of myself and not express elements of my identity that I had previously received negative feedback on you know that I received that resistance with and you know I'm lucky I think it definitely hasn't been like any formative parts of my identity that I've had to repress over time Um, but it's interesting to look at where I am now especially in the context of of women leaders in general you know I feel like we grew up in a climate where there were a lot of women leaders in at the high school age like everywhere I looked doing you know leadership and or ASB in high school um there were women leaders but now we're in college, you know, we're entering the workforce. And I don't understand how even myself and all these empowered women that I grew up with, you know, those leadership positions that we deserve just as much are being given to men. And oftentimes, you know, I, I feel myself not even searching or, or looking to attain a leadership position, um, which makes me wonder, like, what has changed in college? You know, what what has made me think that that's not a part of my journey? So that's going a little bit off topic. Yeah. No, <laughs> this is 100% relevant. Boring. <laughs> Wow, that was no, that was really powerful. I mean, Lauren, the the bravery you have every single day to look someone in the eye with such candence that is just giving you the hardest time because you're they 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 don't understand it, but they intuitively believe that you are secondary because of who you are. It's it's just really telling. Like you're such a powerful person in that regard. Um and I think also back to that point that you were saying, um, there is still a lot of progress to be made. And yes, like women nowadays, like can hold certain positions the same as men, but, um, the wage gap is still a thing. And then when we look at like the 2016 election with Hillary Clinton, I was dumbfounded. I was shocked when I walked into my class and my English professor, my English teacher, she told me that, um, you know what, I'm glad because I know that America is not ready for a female president. And I was, I was just completely dumbfounded because I assumed that we were going towards such a progressive way in, as a society, as a collective, in our stratosphere, and our zeitgeist, um, that I just, it just didn't register to me that not everyone considered people the same way we do. You know what I mean? Um, exactly. So it's just, it's insane. But um, I also wanted to ask you um, how, so what, do you what would you tell little girls if they were listening like what is the you talked to this about this a little before but i just want to give you the second to like like consolidate it a little bit just like what do you consider like your motto or your really your platform if you were to like have one in life like if you were writing for like the 20 36 elections what is like your mantra Oh my gosh, that's a huge question. It's a huge question. Wow. I really, but, oh man, I really appreciate you asking that. It gives me the chance to to kind of think about what I would say. Would I mean, it can be general. Thing. It can be universal. You can root it back in compassion. You can root it in empathy and empowerment. I mean, it's it's really your platform, however you want to do it. Yeah, I think 
I think something that I, you know, kind of three pillars that I would tie it back to. And I think if I were to run in 2036, I would refine these points a little bit more. But um, I think for me, it comes back to empathy, authenticity, and action. And I okay, think now we have, now we, now it doesn't just begging <laughs> to be opened up. <laughs> All three of those are just like huge points. <laughs> I think, you know, when, and being involved in student government spaces at school, being involved in advocacy in higher education and kind of, be, you know, it's crazy, Hector, right? Like we go to school with so many folks who aspire to be and, you know, we study the same subject as so many folks right. who aspire to be politicians, who aspire to be world leaders, who aspire to be, you know, community um, community organizers in the future. Um, right. And I think one thing, so yeah, I would say that's it's probably a hierarchy of things to me. Well, I wouldn't say that action is less important. Anyway, um, to go over my three things. First, <laughs> I think you have to be empathetic. I think or I think women, I think leaders should be authentically empathetic um, to the situations mm-hmm. of those folks and the experiences of those that are outside their own. Yeah. And because like intersectionality is a thing. I mean, you have yeah. to, you have to speak to the women who are people, people of color and those who are white passing or white where they don't experience the same oppressions and they experience it 10 times worse because of either cultural, racial, eth- ethnic, backgrounds and divisions and you know so you're right yeah i think yeah and i think the key part of that just like you were saying you know um, acknowledging the difference in experiences the privileges that are allocated and and you know how those are distributed and how they affect really life outcomes i think there requires a genuine authenticity when speaking to people when building community when writing policy, you know, I think a lot of leaders will do things for power. And it's crazy yeah. to be at this age where we look around at people we know who we can already tell are just searching for power and searching for titles and searching for dominance and see doing good, doing good in quotes, as right. a way to attain that power. And I think that's dangerous. I think, one, you have to be empathetic. Two, you have to be authentic. You have to be you know, wanting to work together with communities to make things better just because you want to make things better, not because you want a title, not because you want a position, just because you're a good person, you know, and you care about Um, the world and people. Yeah. And that's an issue that's going to be just accelerating as we go into the, into the future with things such as like social media activism, because a picture tells a thousand words, but it doesn't tell the whole story. So, you know, we can't we have to kind of look at it from a perspective of intention but those intentions are getting more and more difficult at the end of the day because we don't know and that's why representation matters because like you said you can only um you know be a true leader when you're authentic and being authentic means living through these experiences if you don't have someone that's that's on the board of districts whatever 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 who reflects your lived experiences, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a woman, whether you're Black, whether you're Asian, no one else on that board will understand your story as much as that one person who looks like you will. Does that make sense? Implicit bias is a thing, you know? So, yeah, 100%. And what about the last one? What is action? How does action shape into your pillars? 
And I think action completely complements and builds upon what you mentioned, you know, that, you know, once you have empathy, once you have a genuine want to work together with folks, and like you said, um, you know, a want to build coalitions, a want to distribute power, a want to increase representation, those are all wants, right? Yeah. And they have to be met with action. They have to be met with implementation. Um, and I think I've been realizing this past year that it's, you know, it's one thing to say something, but it's a whole other thing and the most important thing to actually follow through with what you're saying. Um, and, yeah. and I think that's why action comes last in my book, because like you said, action, activism, advocacy requires, I would say, a well-defined intention and one to me that has to be empathetic and authentic at first. Uh. That was so beautiful, Lauren. That was so beautiful. That was insane. Oh, I think we reached a really, I want to end it here just because that was such a clue, like conclusionary point. Um, Lauren, I hope you continue to inspire so many little girls out there who are um, either listening in, looking at you in the future, just thinking about the world, recognizing the problems and wanting to create change because I think you do that on a daily basis. And I hope you know that we all just are so inspired by you and. I mean, whatever help you need from any of us in whatever you do, just reach out, let us know, and we will literally drop the world for you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hector. That means the world to me. And I hope you know I would drop anything, anytime, anywhere to help you, support you. And I love you. And thank you for having me on. I love you so much, Lauren. Okay. And with that, I think we're going to end it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, tune in next Wednesday. I think we're going to do Stick With Us Time, 9 p.m. Um, I still haven't come up with a name for the series. So if anyone has any suggestions, please let me know. And then we're going to kind of incorporate this into um, a, a weekly thing. So thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.